So um, I'm dedicating this year, uh, this year and the year that immediately follows, uh, to the yard site of my father-in-law, who is 32nd yard site, which will be on Ches Tishrei, Yom Kippur's Wednesday, so that would be Monday. Monday it's coming. Nosan Nota Ben Avram and I'll talk more about him in the second year because I'd like to, um, but I will talk about what made him special and how his life is an inspiration for aspects on this year as well. Today's year is called Rewriting the Past, Tshuva uh, Me Ahava. Um, it's an idea that's bandied about a lot. Um, I'm going to show you the source for that idea, and I'm going to show you an interpretation of it that I think is very modern and very interesting. Um, and here's the here's the Gemara that everything starts with. I don't know if you can, I hope, hopefully you guys can see well. It's a nice upgrade from where the way we usually are, right? I mean, it works basically, but this this is a lot better, right? This is we can okay. I don't mind doing this all the time, piggybacking the Shiram, because in a way I don't have to come twice. So, Amarabi, here, here we see. Uh, okay, so we have a number of uh, Amaroyim talking about how great tshuva is. And it's in the Masechta that's dedicated to Yom Kippur, Masechta's Yoma, the Masechta's Yoma that, that of the great day about Yom Kippur, a whole Masechta that's dedicated to it. Here's at the very end of that Masechta. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yonasan, Gedola tshuva she mekareves asagu'uva. Right. This is Masechtas Yoma, or Yuma, or Yoma. Yoma is the real, the proper way to say it. Yoma, the big day, the day of Yom Kippur. Gedola Tshuva Shem Tshuva is great because what it does is it brings us towards the Geula, the restoration of our lives, the restoration of our of our Jewish life. Shenamar Uvolitzion Goel, right? Uvoshove Fesha Biyakov Matam Uvolitzion Goel. Why do we say Ubalitzion? It's going to happen. The, the Redeemer comes to Zion. The Mashiach is here. Why? Because the Pesach says, Because the people who are waiting for him are the ones that have turned away from their iniquities, from their Pashoyim. On that, Look what Shuva is. When you acted originally, that action was basically malicious. You meant it. You were angry. You wanted to hurt somebody. You wanted to steal someone. You wanted that object. And when you do tshuva, we treat you differently. The action becomes something else. It becomes a different action after tshuva. Now, right away, this is the great paradox and why people sometimes are depressed and don't feel they can do tshuva, which is, can you really change what you did? Can you really change what happened? Gedola tshuva, the Rosh says, tshuva is that great, that even though when you did it, it was a zodon, now, from God's perspective to you, and maybe from your perspective to everyone else in the world, it's not a malicious act, it's a shogeg. Now, shogeg doesn't mean you're completely off the hook, but it means that it, we somehow... We somehow blunt that, 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 that force of negativity that you had when you did it. What's the proof? Shenemar. This is why this Shabbos, of course, this is what we read. Shuva Yisrael, Arashem Aleikecha. That's what we read. That's the Haftorah. And that's why this Shabbos is called Shabbos Shuva. Uh, it's called not Shabbos Shuva, but Shabbos Shuva, 
because this is the Pasuk in, in Hosea that we read, Shuvah Yisrael at Hashem Elokecha, to, that's what we read right after the laning, Ki chashalta bavanecha. Hmm. Return to God because you stumbled in your oven. So Rosh says, hmm, these two aren't really correct. An avon means you meant it. What do you mean you stumbled? Kashalta <laughs> bavonecha? Right? You didn't stumble. You stumble into, like you fumbled into and you made a mistake. But an avon is, is, is a real sin. Ha'avon mezidu. You see, everybody sing here? Vikokari le michshol. And it's called something you stumbled on, you fell on. <laughs> so it must be that when you do tshuva, there's a re a reassessment of that act. It was avon, but we call it a kishlon. So Mar says Rishlakish, you came up with an even more radical statement. That actually becomes even greater. That the, what you did then is actually a merit to you. It's actually a zechus, right? It doesn't say it becomes a mitzvah necessarily, but it's a schuyot, it's something positive to you. And what's the proof? The Pasuk says, That when the Russia returns from, and he changes from what he did, and he now lives a different life, it sounds like he's going to live with them. Okay. Now, this Pasuk, and you can see when, you, you know, the good Gemaras will show you where the Pesukim are. And Watch out, pothole on road ahead. That's right, Vikishloin. That's right, there are, there's a pothole, thank you. This is the Jeep, this is the Gemara GPS. This is when you're learning Gemara, and uh-oh, watch out. If you take a look here, I'll try to make it a little larger. But take a look, here's the Pasuk. Take a look here on the bottom, this is called Torah Or. Here's the complete one. If you're ever going to learn Gemara, make sure you have a Gemara that, that, that gives you the complete psukim. Whenever a Pasuk is quoted, I hope you can see it here. Yeah. yeah. When the Rasha does tshuva from what he did wrong, and now he's doing good deeds, he's doing righteous deeds, right? He'll live based on them. Okay. Um, it's strange, and, and other people point out, well, how does this Pasuk prove that? That it actually is considered a schus for him. It sounds like he's doing mishpat utztaka. So where does, what's the proof, what's the proof from that Pasuk that, that it actually becomes a, a merit for that person? All right. Get back to that. Again, you hear the problem with the Pasuk. The Pasuk says in Yechesko that uh, when he, right, Rosham Mirishasov, Osam Mishpat, Utstoko, Aleyim Uyichia. The simple shot is you're going to live on the good things. You won't live on the bad things, but the bad things are still the bad things. Where do you see how the bad things, the things you did wrong, are somehow positive for you? That, that you don't seem to see. Okay, but that, you know, Rishwakish is what, this is what he says. Let's go. Let's make this a little. Okay, I'm gonna to try to make this. Here we go. So let me go back. I'm gonna give you Jonathan Sachs in a second. Okay, so let's go back here. So let's see what Rishlokish answers. Let's see what the Gemara answers. Right now, it's a contradiction in Rishlokish. Gemara says Lake Kasha. See it up there. Make it a little larger. Kan um, Ba'avakan Meira. Okay. 
Depends. There's two types of tshuva. There's tshuva from Ava and tshuva from Yira. So the simple shot would be that Ava, Yira is the tshuva where it's a shogeg. And Ava is where the tshuva actually becomes even greater than that. The tshuva becomes almost your past actions are elevated to something even greater. So now this is one of the cardinal principles of what we try to push for, that a person can actually do tshuva ad Hashem which can maybe even create this idea of ahava. So um, to understand this Gemara, um, there is a uh, a theory that is brilliantly dis- described here, and I don't know if you, you read this every week or not, uh, from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, do you, got, do you read him? Do you get a chance to see what he says? Okay, I, I, I highly recommend. He's an incredible writer and, and a wonderful thinker. And he's in many ways, I think, a very important bridge voice between even the fringes of orthodoxy and even those that who call themselves Haredim. I think he's someone that that is able to walk that tightrope and is able to really be a very uh, unifying figure. Can uh, email to you or? Oh, you can get it. Yeah, you can just as you can see, the free list is up here. It's in your email, so you'll you okay. can subscribe to him and you can That's see. Exciting. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Um, so this is what he says. He says that he quotes uh, Rish Lakish, and it's something that many of my students always say. It was said by one of the great Bali Chuva penitents, the third century sage known as Rishlokish, originally a highway robber. He was persuaded by Rabbi Yochan to give up his lawless ways and join him in the house of study. This is very famous. Everyone knows that Rishlokish had a checkered past. Um, and uh, whenever I teach Rishlokish, and when I used to anyway, in a lot of my high school teaching, everybody always wanted to know, well, is this, you know, is this everything he said based on the fact that he had had this history of being a Balchuva himself? And I always, I shy away from, from these type of assumptions. And even Jonathan Sachs here is saying that perhaps, but he's just giving the background who Rish Lakish was. And he says, perhaps, speaking from his own experience, he says, great is repentance. But as you see, how can we change the past? How can we deliberate sins be transformed into their opposite, into merits and into good deeds? And he then he asks the same question. The Pasuk from Yechesko doesn't prove the point. If anything, it proves the opposite. Right? It's only through the good deeds that he lives. So the um, Jonathan Sachs wants to suggest the following. He wants to take this back to Yosef's words to his brothers. Um, we know what um, um, right. We know what Yosef, uh, the brothers uh, say to Yosef. The brothers uh, think that Yosef wants to really punish them. They've gotten some indicators after it's the very last part of Sefer Bereshis. Uh, Yaakov has died, and the brother, the Pesukim just say the brothers saw that Yosef was not exactly the way he had been before. And there's a number of, uh, of, of, of references in the Chazal about what they saw. He didn't eat with them in the same way. Um, they saw that at the way back from the funeral, 
Um, he went to the pit where he had been thrown in, and he stood there and prayed and made, made a brocha. And of course, for years, for 17 years, this was something they didn't talk about openly and publicly about what Yosef had done. While Yaakov was alive, it was a lot of, they tried to be one unit and one family. But after Yaakov's death, it still haunted the brothers that Yosef might still want, and, then, and they, start, they saw indicators of that. He wasn't as close to them as he had been. He didn't eat with them in the same way. So they thought that Yosef still hated them. So they uh, concocted a lie that, and they sent Yosef a message, you know, this is a, a, a final message from our father, which, of course, Yaakov did not say. But what was the final message? Sana, let's take a look in, at the at the, at the Pusik inside for a second. I'm going to put that up. Let's put Chabad.org. I'll show you the Pusik in a second. Good website to always find. Uh, let's see. As we go with um, text and writings, classic texts. So here we go. And then what we do is the Torah. And from there, I'm going to go to the last chapter. In fact, the very last chapter of Genesis, so to speak. Chapter 50. And you can see, here it is, the last chapter of Genesis. Um, now Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died. You can see. Oh, can everyone see on the board? Okay, should I make it a little larger? Can you everyone I just see? Okay. My context upgraded. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, great. So here you see that they told Yosef, "Your father commanded us before his death, saying, uh, now, forgive now your brothers' transgressions and their sins.'" Uh, Jonathan Sachs points out, Lord Jonathan Sachs points out, this is the first time this term is used in all of the Torah. Sonno. Right? Forgive. Now, literally, of course, we say no sefesh. It's one of the Yudgimomidos. That so means to actually carry the sin. To carry the sin, to accept the sin. God, can you carry that for me? Just like I did with Green Chickpea today. <laughs> I told them, carry the debt, please. Like, normally... Like we, we, someone, you know what you just did? So you know what? Carry it. Can, can you just like put it someplace and just and keep it, right? No say him We almost say, can you be no say him to us? Uh, can you still look at us? Can you still you know put this in someplace else and still relate to us, relate to me in the same way? So that's what sona pesha achecha meant. The sin was there. Carry it. Absorb it. Don't let it permeate the way you're dealing with them. Because it was clearly uh, a pesha, and then he calls it a chet as well, which is less than a pesha. Kirog muluch, he definitely had it bad. And once again, va'ata, once again, sonno le pesha avde elokei avicha. And they really put it on thick, because because uh, even though I'm gone, they still serve God. And therefore, they do see themselves as servants as God. But Yosef, they hurt you, and there's tshuva to be done. And Yosef cries when he hears this message. And uh, and the brothers, of course, seeing him crying, they come close to him. 
And they say, you know, we are your avodim, you know, you have done so much for us, we owe you so much. And Yosef says, "Al tiro ki atachas avokim ani va'atem chishavtem aleiro avohim choshva v'tova." Right? Amanos abayom azelach yosam rav. I know what was in your machshav. Your machshav was raw, but God thought, and it was God's plan for it to be great, for it to be positive, and we wouldn't be here if it wouldn't be for this. We would have all died. It's only because of what you sold me that because. I now was able to become who I am. God arranged it. And because I had this position, had I not been a slave, I wouldn't have been in there, there. I wouldn't have been able to to be so close to Paro and be able to provide for you. So Rabbi Sachs, uh, if we go back to um, here, says that this moment was, and this is his theory, and he says that it's actually, it's based on a book from David Constant, which is called... Uh, forgiveness. Um, what's the name of the book? Um, I don't want to restate it or state it incorrectly, um, but it's a book about about the idea of forgiveness. That this is the first time in history that we have an idea of actually one person forgiving the others. Um, this is the first time that that has happened. What Yosef did. It didn't happen in the other place. Um, in the Torah, up until this point, Rabbi Sachs says you, um, you you have punishments and you have a lot of uh, distress and, and what you have is Jacob appeasing Esau, right? But he's basically, he's not asking for forgiveness. He is prostrating himself to him. He's showing that he's less he says there, there are many cultures outside of Judaism that had an idea that when someone hurt someone, that what you needed to do was show that you were no longer a threat, that you were no longer going to hurt that person, so you show submission. But the idea of actually asking the person for forgiveness, owning up to what you did and saying that you can be something different, and for the person to forgive the sin, recognize that there's something in you that could be different, not that I can live with it, you're no longer a threat to me. That's not forgiveness. And that's something which Constant, this David Constant, I think, K-O-N-S-T-A-N, he wrote this book um, about forgiveness, says that it's unique to, to Judaism. Judaism invented this. And this, uh, Sachs and Constant says, is the first act of forgiveness. First act of forgiveness. What's even more striking is that, and this is really the brilliant theory that Rabbi Sachs builds from this, is that if you really look in the Torah, God's not forgiving anyone either. I mean, in the Slichos, we mentioned how maybe, like in, a couple of days ago, we mentioned about how how Cain uh, got forgiveness from God, but it doesn't really say that openly. The Midrashim say that Cain got forgiveness. Cain for killing Abel, Cain for killing Abel, he, he 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 mitigates the sin. He tells him, "I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you something that's going to stop the punishment from accruing. I'm going to push it off." But basically, no one gets forgiven. Nobody is no. There's no. There's no one who gets forgiven for what they've done. And um, God doesn't. God destroys the world, right, by the mabul. 
the human beings, right? God doesn't give them right, a chance to do tshuva. It's not like in Ninveh, which comes later, right? This is this is basically what. what and when Avram Avinu argues, he doesn't argue and say, "Well, maybe these people can do tshuva." That's not Avram Avinu's point. What Avram Avinu says is that he is going to um, that there's the mishpat of God, there's the justice of God involved. The justice of God demands that you can't kill them. But he didn't say to to allow them to change. He didn't uh, Avram didn't make that argument. Um, what what Rabbi Sachs wants to suppose is that it's only here that tshuva happens. Now, how did tshuva occur? He says, really, if you it, it, he, Yosef, once they came, the brothers came and bowed down to him. Yosef should have revealed himself at that point. That should have been the end of it. But Yosef constructs a whole subterfuge. What was that reason for that subterfuge? The subterfuge, because Yosef was crafting a tshuva process for them. First, of course, what happens is the brothers, uh, he hears them saying, which is like Ashamnu. They actually regret what they did, the first step of tshuva. They regret what they had done. And that regretting is charata, right? That's the one of the main aspects of tshuva, regretting and, and, and understanding what the chet has done to them. Then, of course, you have um, uh, you have another aspect of the chet, which is that Yehuda admits when Benjamin uh, when they find the uh, when they find the cup in Benjamin's uh, sack, Yehuda says, "We are guilty." That's vidui. Here you have human beings confessing that they were all, in a sense, guilty. But then you have the third, which is what Yosef was trying to do. Yosef was actually wanting them to become balei tshuva. He wanted to create a situation where there was a brother they could be jealous of. When Benjamin shows up, Yosef does his utmost to lavish gifts on him, to also create a sense of jealousy. And of course, this should bring back the jealousy, the same jealousy they had about Benjamin's brother, who they also, right, who they hated. And here, instead, of course, of, of acting on that jealousy and acting on that hatred, Yehuda becomes the ultimate Balchuva. This is all Rabbi Sachs's idea. How does he become the ultimate Balchuva? Well, what was he beforehand? Beforehand, of course, Yehuda was saying, well, he says, we're going to get nothing from killing him. He's talking about killing someone, and he says, we're not going to get any money from it, right? Let's sell him. Yehud is the leader who, who influences everyone to do the terrible act of, of, of selling another human being and not having compassion. It was Yehuda's you know, you know, stoicism that everyone was following and a sense of being right, even to the sense of, uh, even to the point of hurting someone else. So Yehuda, of course, Yehuda had his own world, his own little personal story with Tamar, as we know, and that story allowed him, sort of readied him for his big tshuva, because when he says about Tamar, Yehud is the first person to ever say tzadka mimeni to someone who's more proper than me. That doesn't happen in the Torah either. So the brothers, specifically Yehudo, represents them. And Rabbi Sachs says, in a way, we're all eventually all become Jews. We all become Yehudim. We all become connected with Yehuda, who as the leader of the brothers goes through the tshuva process more than anyone else. 
Because he's the one who finally says he was there saying, I'm guilty, that was Charata, he did the Vidui, and then he's willing to give himself up for Yosef, for, for Benyamin. He's willing to say, I'll take his place. I'll be him instead. I'll be your Evid. So he's actually shown complete that he's like the Rambam has said about Shuva Gamura, someone who's been in the same spot, the same situation. That's what Yosef had created. Yosef created a situation that would, uh, that, that, that was a model that mirrored the situation of the brothers themselves. He observed it and realized they'd actually changed, had changed. They'd exercised their free will to actually become different and to act differently. Yehuda acts differently, becomes a different person. And the proof is in the pudding that he, pass, he makes this passionate speech and that's when Yosef breaks down. This is all, again, everything I'm saying here is really uh, Rabbi Sachs' idea. Oh, there's tshuva. That is repentance. Yosef is the one who was hurt. Yosef can now forgive. Now, if you take a look here, um, as you can see, tshuva is the ultimate assertion of freedom. But here, this is what he's... Here, okay. By your repentance, you have written a new chapter in the story of which you're a part. The harm you intended to me ultimately led to good. As long as you stayed, the people prepared to sell a brother into slavery, none of that good could be attributed to you. Yeah, it was good, but that's not what you meant. Somebody punches you in the face, as the Balakeda says, or and then you end up falling into a pond, and you have a couple of teeth knocked out, but then in your mouth is lodged a couple of pearls that are worth a million dollars, you can still have something against the guy who punched you in the face. God happened to pull the strings. <laughs> you ain't, you're not sending him uh, a, a Rosh Hashanah card every single year saying, you're one of my best friends. God was able to pull the strings. That's not enough to, to do tshuva with. And that's what he was saying. Until they had changed, none of that good could be contributed. But now that you've transformed yourself through tshuva, you've transformed the story of your life as well. By your change of heart, you have earned the right to be included in a narrative whose ultimate outcome was benign. We cannot change the past, but we can change the story people tell about the past. But that's when we ourselves change. So this is what he wants to try to explain. That's what it means. Um, that's what it means that you can change your past. Uh, you can rewrite it. Through repentance, deliberate sins can be accounted as merits. It sounds paradoxical. Time is asymmetrical. We can't change what is yet to be, but we can, and we cannot alter it. But what we can do is, we can, by who we are now, we can rewrite the significance of the past, and we can connect to it. Like he says, and like he says, if you, you go towards the end of your life, you can see that a deprived childhood can actually be something positive. You go back and look at that negative and you change, because you have changed the arc of your life, the past can actually be something, even that negative thing can be something positive. That's how that negative thing that they did, they can actually own it. Because since they now are different, they can now say, well, look, 
that's not maybe what I intended, but since I now realize that that was wrong, and I'm now in tune with God and what he wants, the positive things that came out of the selling of Yosef are now attributable to the brothers. That's Rabbi Sachs's pshat. That's what it means that you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. But now that you've changed, you can now align with God's, with, with, with the positive things that have occurred. So that's his theory about how we do tshuva. We don't actually, right, we, we, we rewrite a new narrative of our story. It's a very beautiful idea, and he actually builds on it. I, I didn't want to, you know, I have a couple of minutes. I am going to, I am going to stop in four minutes. Um, what he says further is, is that until we do tshuva, God doesn't introduce the concept of tshuva on a national level either. God, of course, is the ultimate compassionate, loving entity that that's the, that absorbs us all. But till human beings show that they can do, can forgive each other, God doesn't forgive us as a people. And that's why he says Beratius is really the story of man's misuse of free will. God is, creates the ultimate act of will. He creates human beings who use that will and use that will for wrong, whether it's in the Mabel, whether it's about Yaakov and Esau, it's throughout. The others, of course, are trying to sustain something. But the real story, in other words, it's almost like everything till you get to the story of Yosef and his brothers is only a preamble. Because that's when the story becomes a story. It sets up these b- battles between brothers, between Yishmol and Yitzchak, between Esau and Yaakov. And now when we get to the story of Yosef, we have real human characters and they reach this apex, this climax at the very end of, 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 of actually forgiveness and change. Now, Sefer Shmos develops. And Sefer Shmos, of course, is the national story, which also has its apex, which is the Cheta Ego, right? Which is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Matan Torah, and incredibly, with all that, Moshe Rabbeinu is able to beg for forgiveness from God. But that's only possible, uh, Rabbi Sachs argues, because God, of course, can give us kapara on Yom Kippur, but that's because we have learned to be able in ourselves to be to forgive each other. That's why so much of Yom Kippur is based on there's no kapara from God and it won't it won't be complete unless we are able to obtain tshuva and are we able to do tshuva and get kapara from the people around us in the benam al-chaber way. Okay, that's Kivlevich has said nothing today. This is all Rabbi Sachs. I've just put it a little bit on, on the table. I just want to point out to you something interesting. This is something perhaps to think about that uh, Rabbeinu Bachia on that Pusik says let's get a little larger I don't know why I'm not getting it large let's try it again Rebbe points out not sure why this doesn't move here we go can you see here on the bottom it says that um, he says look on the bottom Rebbe one of the Rishonim a student of the Rashba two generations removed from the Ramban 
Let's see where my where my is. We're going to end in a minute. Okay, and that's what they did. That he spoke to them. He spoke we don't see Yosef really forgiving them. Not like Jonathan Sachs said, you know, thousand, whatever, eight hundred years later. <laughs> he, he cried with them, he hugged them, but he never said that he was actually mochel them. says, And they actually died, they actually never got mechila. They did tshuva, but Yosef never was mochel them. The punishment was sort of in abeyance, and of course it happened, and this is what we read on Yom Kippur, of course, on the Asura Ruge Malchus. The Asura Ruge Malchus, those ten incredible Tanoyim Tzadikim who died, they died as an aspect of Mechiras Yosef, right? That's what it was. They, that's what the, 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 the Roman general, the Roman uh, executioner, he put everything together in order to, to, to tell them that they deserve to die for the chet of the brothers. In fact, Bachia says, there's a hint in the Posik because it says, what does it say? It says two pshat, it says, Posha Achicha, and it says, the Pesh of Avde Elohe there's your actual brothers, but there's also something in the future. There's the sin of those great servants of God, those those ten who died, Asaruge um, Malchus. And 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 because that was never taken care of. And and that's really what happens because of that, as he says. Yaakov was this you know, even though Yaakov never said it, there's a hint to the fact that the sin was never really um, taken care of. Which, of course, leaves you with a question, why didn't Yosef do that? You know, and not, why didn't Yosef give them the complete machiva? Had he things, well, things might have been different. But, uh, but as you can see, you know, uh, Sachs uh, assumes that there was machiva. The psukim never really say that, as, as, as Rabbi Nobachia points out. I would suggest just to that that what Yosef means is that sometimes human beings again and this gets into a very thorny question about do we act with God controlling us he sounds like he's saying to them God's will overtook yours in other words you in your brain you thought you were doing evil but God wanted this to happen no matter what somehow that what but which means that Sometimes God takes away our free will mm-hmm. in order for things to happen. And we don't even know that. We we believe we're doing things because it was our choice. And I think that's something with Rabbi Sachs is it's hard for modern audience to accept. Yeah. So I, I hope that at least in this way we, we talk about how this, you know, put a little bit in perspective of, of what Shuba Meyava might be. So have a, 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 a Gemar, Simetova, to be Nechtam, L'chaim Tovim, and hopefully we'll catch each other back in the incredibly in Parshas Cheshvan, in Cheshvan. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Catch each other back in the incredibly in Parshas Cheshvan and Cheshvan.
All right. Okay. Okay.